Amen. Well, I heard about a father who had twins. They were sons. And uh, these boys had a lot in common, like you would expect two boys to have. But they also were very, very different in one point. One little boy was an absolute pessimist. Always saw the glass half empty. The other little boy, on the other hand, was an absolute optimist. It didn't matter what. He always saw the glass, the glass half full. So one saw it half empty, the pessimist, and the optimist always saw it half full. And the father wanted to kind of experiment with his boys and see if he could change their disposition. So he told the boys to go down the street and play. And he decided to go into the room of his pessimist son and just put in there a whole barrel of brand new toys, sure that when that boy showed up and saw all those toys, it would, for the first time, bring out of that boy some sense of joy, some sense of positiveness. Then he went down to his optimistic son's room, and he unloaded there a pickup full of horse manure and a shovel. And he was sure that even his most optimistic son would see that mess in his room, smell that mess, and just become disgusted and complain. So he did all that, and he told the boys to come home, and he sent them up to the room. And he decided that he would go up and visit them to see how things were going, how his experiment was. So he tiptoed up the stairs, and he went up the stairs, and he went to his pessimistic son's room, and he slowly and quietly opened the door, and to his absolute chagrin and discouragement, there sat his boy on the floor complaining about all the toys. He was complaining about where he was going to put them all. He was complaining about when they were going to break. He was complaining about the fact that some of them needed to have batteries. He was just a mess. And the father just shook his head in disgust and thought, you know, what's going to happen to my son? So he went down the hallway and he thought for sure that his optimistic son with a whole room full of horsemen would be very, very upset. And so he opened the door and to his absolute surprise there was his optimistic son just pitching manure with a you know with fever just right and left and he heard him exclaiming to himself with all this horse poop there has to be a pony in here someplace (laughs) you know isn't it interesting how our disposition is oftentimes affected by our our condition in life or our life circumstances. If you look at what's going around in our culture today and listen to the news and listen to conversations, you find people who a year ago were pretty optimistic, were pretty happy, but now are very discouraged and very worried and fretting because of what's happened financially. Or think about people who are just going along life and everything is fine and they go have a doctor's visit because of a pain or an ache someplace and the next thing they know, they are... They are discovering that their life is being threatened by some disease and and all of a sudden their whole attitude changes because of that or think about relationships you know your marriage can can be going well your family can go uh, be going well your friendships and then all of a sudden somebody says or does something to upset the relationship and isn't it amazing how a bad relationship can be like a gray cloud hanging over our heads it can just consume our time and our thoughts and our life and become so discouraging If you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, how can you and I break free from being bound by our circumstances and our life conditions? How can we be set free from that? How can we learn to live above it? I think Paul addresses that for us this morning in Ephesians chapter 1. So I want you to turn back to that passage of Scripture, and we're going to look at it. And I'm going to go to the eye doctor this week because my drugstore glasses are just not working out real well. And uh, my wife says they look really goofy on me. So uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Here we go. Paul says, In him we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, Paul's favorite phrase, we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we who were the first to, be, to put our hope in Christ, he's speaking about the Jews, might be for the praise of his glory. And you, and I was talking to the Gentiles, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance and the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, when you read the Apostle Paul, sometimes his letters are difficult to read. He uses a lot of big words. And not only that, but he kind of gets carried away once in a while with these endless sentences. And he's so excited. But if you boil it all down and you apply it to your circumstances, your life condition, what the Apostle Paul is saying is simply this. He's saying to you and me that we don't have to be bound by our condition. We don't have to be bound by our life circumstances. We can be liberated if we'll embrace our position in Christ Jesus. If we'll embrace our position in Christ Jesus. Now, how do you do that? Write this thought down, will you please? My condition or conditions is temporary. My position in Christ is eternal. Our conditions are temporary. They're here and they pass away. But our position or our relationship in Jesus Christ is eternal. Remember earlier in the book of Ephesians, Paul says we live two lives in a sense. We live this life here on earth, and yet in Christ we have a place in heaven. And someday that is where we will spend our entire existence. And so we have to be as as heaven-focused as we are earth-bound. And Paul says the stuff that's going on down here on earth, that's temporary. So don't get, don't get fixated on it. And that's what we do, isn't it? We get kind of fixated on our life down here. It's hard not to because it's where we live. It's tangible and we see it and we feel it and we experience it every day. But if all of life is reduced down to the here and the now, if this is the end of the line then I can understand why some people are extreme pessimists, why so many people are frustrated, worried, angry, and upset by what they're experiencing in our world and in our society today. In fact, uh, a couple of days ago, I was in Budapest, Hungary, and I went there to teach and train some of our missionaries and some of the national pastors. And on the way back, I asked the gentleman who was taking me back to the airport I said, what's the population of Hungary? And can you tell me what percent are truly born-again believers, followers of Jesus Christ? He said to me, the population is about 10 million. 3 million live in Budapest, 7 million live in the rest of the country. And he said they estimate that 1% or less are truly born-again Christians. Communism has had a devastating effect on that nation. In fact, all of Central Europe. Even though it's past and life has moved on since then, it has created generations of individuals who don't know if there is a God or who just don't believe there is a God. And so because they live in a vacuum without God, they have no sense of real hope. 
And they're very pessimistic people. And they dress dark and gray. And because about 30% live below the level of poverty, there's a tremendous, tremendous sense of despair there. As far as they're concerned, that's life. They get up every day. And there's really nothing to live for. That's why you don't see a lot of smiles and you don't see a lot of joy and and expression of hope in their eyes or on their faces. And I thought to myself as I flew home, I said, I, I thought to myself, I've just seen the future of America if we continue to turn away from God and reject his blessings and his presence. And I really don't want to see a future like that, do you? And that's why I believe that the church is the hope of the world. And that's why we have a vision to make a difference, to be an epicenter of that hope here, near, and far. And as I flew back into O'Hare and touched down yesterday, I had a weird thing happen to me. I don't know if it was of the Holy Spirit or what, but it was like a question came to my mind, what have you come back to do? And I started thinking about all the stuff I have to do now that I'm back, emails and, you know, sermon preparation, meetings, and on and on. And then all of a sudden, I just felt like I don't want to come back and do that. What I want to come back and do is lead a movement of men and women and young people who are bound and determined to exit planet Earth and go into the presence of God knowing that they have made a mark and left a difference and His name is Jesus Christ. That's what I want to do. How about you? I don't want to just exist. This world needs hope and you and I are the bearers of that hope and His name is Jesus. And we have hope this morning and the reason we have hope is because of this. Jot this down. Our position, or personalize it, my position in Christ releases me from my enslavement to sin. See, the world without Christ doesn't know that. If you were to get to the bottom of what's going on in our world today, you could could trace it all the way down to sin, which manifests itself oftentimes first in pride and then sends its roots out in so many other forms of sin. And that's what's wrong with our world today, and that's what's got to change. But even as believers, we can so easily become entangled with sin in our own lives. And we forget that we've been released from sin. We've been set free from from sin. I no longer have to be a slave to sin. Look what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 again with me. He says, in him we have what? What's the word there? He says, we have redemption. Now, what does the word redemption mean? Well, I want to demonstrate it to you. So, Darcy, if you'll come up here. How many of you know what these are? Handcuffs, hopefully not by personal experience, right? Okay, but uh, I'm going to have her put me in handcuffs for just a minute because it has everything to do with this word redemption, all right? And the word redemption means to be set free. It means to be unchained. It means to be released, And Paul is saying that there was a day in our lives, in all of our lives, when we were all handcuffed to sin. Not only were we handcuffed to sin, but what Paul's teaching us there is that that sin sin was like a slave master. And we were its slaves. And in our sin, we were locked into habits of sin. And we could not help but sin. And that's true of all of our lives. No matter what we tried, we could not help but sin because we were under the, the enslavement. We were handcuffed to sin. And so some of you know what I'm talking about. All of us should. There was a time in our lives when maybe we were handcuffed to lust or we were handcuffed to anger or we were handcuffed to bitterness or we were handcuffed to depression and discouragement. Not, not clinical depression, not, 
not chemically related depression, but the depression that comes when you base your life on your circumstances. We're handcuffed to bitterness and jealousy or to drunkenness and to fits of rage or to uh, devious kinds of sexual behavior, to uh, pornography or to fornication or to adultery. The list is endless, right? And we are handcuffed to that. But Jesus came along. And it says that he went to the cross and he died for our sins so that if we will come to him and confess our sins, he will He will unlock the handcuffs. He will take us off the auction block as slaves to sin. And he will purchase us to be his servants, freed and freed indeed. Listen to how Peter puts it in 1 Peter 1, verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Finish it with me. But with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect. So Darcy, come and unlock me. Because this represents Christ's coming. He gives his blood on the cross. He sheds his blood for us in order that we can be freed from the effects and the power and the enslavement of sin. So that we can be his children. So that we can live above the world's circumstances and the world's power over us, which is satanic power. And that is to control our lives. And he sets us free. Have you been set free this morning? Have you been redeemed? Have you been taken away from the habit of sin? And are you now following the habit of grace, the habit of God's love? Maybe there's some of you this morning and you're sitting there going, that's me, Pastor. That I feel those locks in my life right now. I feel cuffed to sin. You don't have to be. If you'll just confess Christ, put your faith in him and believe what he's done for you. You know, I like what it says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, which is kind of a, an amazing verse. John says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. In other words, he died for my sins. And not only for ours, but also for, finish it, the sins of the whole world. You know what that means? It means that I don't have to sin anymore. You don't have to sin and I don't have to sin. Now, I do and we do. But we don't have to be locked into the habit of sin anymore. We have been given freedom from the habit of sin. Listen to what Paul said to the Corinthian Christians. He said, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor practicing homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, is a partial list, will inherit the kingdom of God. Then he says, and that is what some of you, what's the word? Were, but you were washed, you were set apart, you were declared not guilty in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You hear what Paul's saying? He's saying that's what you were, but that isn't what you are now. Why? Because you changed your life? No, because God changed your life for you. And you're no longer a, a slave to sin, but you are now a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul oftentimes refers to himself as a bond slave of Christ. You know, what Paul's saying is, I used to be a slave to sin, but now I'm a slave to Christ. And what the strange thing is, when you become a slave to Christ, you actually experience freedom. Because he brings you that freedom. And the problem for some of us is we've been listening to a lie. 
A lie in our conscience, a lie by the devil himself that says to us that we cannot be freed. That we will always struggle, always be a slave to a lying heart. Or we'll always be a slave to a lustful mind. Or we'll always be a slave to an angry spirit. You name it. You know that voice that says, you can't change. You are always going to be that way. There's no hope for you. But I'm telling you right now that you need to understand that that word to you is a lie. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 44, that Satan is the father of lies. There's no truth in him. And he's constantly, constantly trying to sell his lies to us. So the next time that thought comes to your mind that I can't change, that I can't be different, whether you're a young person or you're an adult, when you hear those words, whether it comes from your conscience or from somebody else, you need to stick your finger in the, in the devil's nasty face and say to him, you're a liar. I have been set free. And not only have I been set free, but look what John chapter 10, verse 10 says. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Finish it with me. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Isn't that awesome? God says, I want you to have life, but I'm going to give you maximum life, a full life. Can I ask you a question this morning? Do you feel full, filled this morning? Do you? Do you really feel fulfilled, really sense I've been released, I've been set free? I don't have to, I don't have to engage in the habit of sin anymore by proclaiming my freedom. But here's my concern. My concern is that for some of us, it's not an issue of, of, of believing that we can be set free. It's an issue of not wanting to be set free. I want to talk to those of you who are, who are believers this morning, who are followers of Christ. And I just want to be honest with you. I want, I, I'm, I'm talking to myself as well. But can we be truthful and admit that some of us here today, if the truth were told, sin is like a pet that we keep in our lives. Have you ever heard somebody use the term, I'm nursing a grudge? You ever known somebody who's nursing a grudge? Are you nursing a grudge today? Have you ever thought what that means, nursing a grudge? I'm feeding and caring for and sleeping with and, and, and uh, holding on to my grudge. I've known married couples that have had fights, you know, and difficulties with each other. And then they reconcile and they make up. But one of them will keep that grudge kind of back here in their mind where they feed it and take care of it. And, and then one day when they're in a bad mood or their spouse says or does something, they reach back there and they pull that monster out and they say, Remember what you said? Remember what you did? I know that doesn't happen with any marriages here. But in other churches it does. Or people who have, you know, a struggle with lust. And so they, you know, they viewed pornography or they've, they've uh, been involved in some kind of flirtation or maybe in something worse than that. And, and they keep that kind of back here and they've dealt with it, but they haven't taken it quite off their shoulder and in a moment of stress, in a moment of frustration, they'll pull that back out and begin to play with it. That's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing to keep sin in your life as a pet. And then to feed it. And to sleep with it. And to think that it's of no harm. You've all probably been watching the news and heard the story about Travis the chimpanzee. How many of you know that story? 14 years old, 200 pounds. I'm told chimpanzees have the strength of seven men, one chimpanzee. 
And, Chim- and, and uh, Travis, as I understand from the news reports, had been, had been quite domesticated. Would drink uh, and sip wine out of a stem glass. Um, was, and this woman whose pet it was, you know, Travis would take baths and Travis would sleep in the bed there with her. And, and it was kind of like the, 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 the man of the house, so to speak. And, and there had never been any problems, although he'd suffer from Lyme disease. And once in a while she'd lace his tea with some Xanax to kind of relax him. And some people think it was the Xanax that caused him to go into this attack. But whatever the case was, uh, he was with his owner at home. And the owner's friend came over and he attacked the owner's friend and literally ripped her face off. And then turned on the owner and, and then they had to shoot Travis. The police had to shoot Travis and he died. And I was, I, I, it was such a bizarre story and it's amazing what makes headline news these days. And I was just kind of reading something here and, and I just want to share it with you. It's, it's by, a, of all people, a Dutchman, a guy by the name of Franz de Waal, lead biologist from Yerkes National Primate Research Center, professor of psychology at Emory University, and author of the New York Times notable book of the year, Our Inner Ape. All right? He added this. Listen to what he says. Chimpanzees are aggressive animals that possess incomprehensible strength. Despite the biological similarities, cute appearance, which I question, and trained behavior, DeWall stated, a chimp in your home is like a time bomb. It may go off for a reason that we may never understand. And I thought about that as I was working on this message. And I realized, you know what? The same thing can be true about sin. When we regard sin in our lives, when we keep it as a pet, and, and we live with it and feed it and sleep with it, Be careful because at any moment it can turn on you and rip your soul apart. Destroy your life, destroy your friendships, destroy your marriage, destroy your family. And how many men and women have I known throughout life and even in ministry who would not stop playing with sin and it destroyed their lives? And it may be doing that to you as well. Let it go. Let's not play with sin. Dangerous, dangerous, dangerous beast to play with. The fact is you've been forgiven. So why would you and I hang on to something we've been forgiven? That's what he says in the passage here. He says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And that word forgiveness means to cleanse and and to pass away. Do you know what that means? It means that when I come to God and I confess my sins... And mean it sincerely. It means that God forgives my sins. He forgives my sins. And he does not remember them anymore. Psalm 103 verse 12 puts it this way. Let's read it aloud together. As far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed our transgressions. Keep it up there and say it with me. But this time say my. As far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed my transgressions. And Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. Let's read it together. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Aren't you grateful for a God who has forgotten the sin that you confessed this morning? Who has forgotten the sin that you confessed last night, a week ago, a month ago, ten years ago? Aren't you grateful that God doesn't keep it around in his mind and pull it out once in a while? He forgives and he forgets. Praise his name. Say, well, pastor, I remember sometimes. I remember stuff I've said, stuff I've done that I wish I hadn't said or done. So do I. But listen carefully. 
when it comes back to your mind, God's not remembering it. So when it comes back to your mind, don't make the mistake of wrestling with it. Don't make the mistake of going back to that memory and thinking about how awful you were and, you know, how dumb that was and how you regret it. Folks, it's paid for. It's gone. It's in the past. Let it go. Because the minute you start wrestling with it, the minute you start trying to rationalize and deal with it, it's like an ugly ape. It'll crawl all over your life and consume you. Ignore it. Stick your finger in his face and say, that's forgiven. I'm not going to think about it. Walk away from it. Start to hum a hymn if you have to. But understand, you've been set free. You young people, listen to me. Whatever sin you have committed, because you're not perfect, I want you to know if you sincerely, that's the key, sincerely confess it to Jesus Christ, you're forgiven. It's done. It's been let go. You are free. And every day is a brand new day with our Lord. Amen? Aren't you glad you're forgiven this morning? Aren't you glad there's a judge in the universe who can declare you not guilty? Praise his name. Listen to what he says a little more here in Ephesians chapter 1. He says in verse uh, 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. It's like a bucket pouring out his forgiveness that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And that word wisdom there is used purposely by Paul because he's, he's um, making a difference between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. God looks at the human condition and God says the only way this can be remedied is I have to send my son to die for them, to take their place, to take my judgment on them, on himself, and they will be forgiven. If they have a relationship with my son, if they receive him into their hearts, they will be totally forgiven. God says that is true wisdom. Jews and the Gentiles can't figure it out, but God says that is true wisdom. Can I say something to you? That what's going to change your life this morning and change my life is not the wisdom of Oprah. It is not the wisdom of Dr. Phil. It is not the wisdom of our astrological science. It is not the wisdom of New Age books that are out there today telling us how to deal with all this stuff. What changes our hearts and our lives is Jesus Christ and Him alone. He has the authority to He has the power to, and when I come to him, he'll do it for me. But I cannot regard sin in my heart. I can't keep it as a pet and know the full effect of God's grace. Now Paul moves on, and before he does that, I want you to jot down one more thought. It's this, simply this. I can have victory over my circumstances and condition by keeping focused on the future. By keeping focused on the future. Listen to what Paul says in this passage. He says in verse 9, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we, are also, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with, his pur- with the purpose of his will both Jews and Gentiles. I want you to think about this in two ways with me. First, Paul is saying that God in his sovereignty, throughout Ephesians 1, God in his sovereignty is bringing the whole universe eventually under alignment to his son's authority. In other words, one day the Bible says, Paul says, one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess in every nation that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
And so God sees what's going on in the world right now, and God's in perfect control of it, and God will take it all, and eventually he will use it to bring mankind to a place of absolute humility to recognize that God alone is the answer for the world. But God is not only doing that with the world, God's doing that with your life and my life too. As followers of Jesus Christ, God is working our, in our lives, shaping and forming us and bringing us to a place where we eventually come under his son and bear out of our lives the image of his son in our behavior, in our thinking, in our character. He's taking the good and the bad and he's forming it all together. But listen carefully. To understand that, you've got to understand this principle. And the principle is simply this. We have a tendency to think that the world around us exists for our good. We were born that way. Think about it. When you were born, the minute you cried, somebody fed you. The minute you wrinkled your face, somebody cleaned you and put fresh clothes on you, didn't they? The minute you had a bellyache, they started to pat you until you passed your gas, right? And the first time you smiled, a hundred light bulbs went off. And the first time you made something that, that someone was sure was, was daddy or mommy, you said something, everybody got excited and everybody got on the phone. The whole world revolved around you. Psychologists say that as early as six months of age, children see the world around them as an extension of themselves. And then, of course, you know, one day you wake up and they do the reverse on you, right? Feed yourself, clean yourself, dress yourself, get a job. But the reality is, in our lives, the reality is we tend to believe that the, that the world exists, that even God exists for my good. Listen carefully to me. If you think that way, you're going to have major issues through life, as we're having right now because the world's letting us down in a big way. Listen carefully. You and I, you and I exist for God's glory. You and I exist for the good that God wants to accomplish. And if I can accept that principle in my mind, then it really doesn't matter what happens to me in life because it's all about God. Whatever you're doing in my life right now, I don't understand it. I don't know why I'm having trials or difficulties, but I know you're using it to shape me and make me like your son so that people see you in me, and I accept that. I accept that. Do you accept that this morning? Are you willing to say, God, my life belongs to you. You can take away whatever you want to take away. You can add whatever you want to add. As long as, God, you get glory out of my life. As long as people look at me and say, how does she do it? How does he do it? There must be a God. See, a lot of times our lives are like a construction project, aren't they? You know, when we were building this church, it was amazing. There was steel everywhere, dirt piles moved here and moved there and all around shuffled in different places and sometimes i would show up and look at it all and think what is this really going to turn out to be i couldn't imagine it but thank god for a good architect and a contractor who could see the end in sight and now look here's the place we're in it when it was under construction i could not because in my mind i could not imagine it but i can imagine it now same things too as in your life and my life sometimes our life feels like it's scattered in pieces there's stuff piled up here and stuff piled up there. And we're wondering, God, what are you doing? And God says, don't worry about it. I know what I'm doing. I'm bringing it all together. And it's going to take beautiful shape someday. And that may not be till we step into eternity. But God says, I'm at work in your life. Listen carefully to me. God says at the end of that passage, he says, and to give you hope, 
I have given you my Holy Spirit as a guarantee. I've given you my Spirit so that you can know now what's ahead of you in the future. Let me ask you a question. Do you know this morning the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? There are a lot of Christians today, if they were to be honest with say, no, I really don't. And the the question is, why is that? And I would like to suggest to you that one of the reasons why that is true is because we continue to regard sin in our lives. And where sin is present, where sin is practiced, where sin is chosen, where sin is not confessed, the Holy Spirit cannot be effective. So I can go to Budapest, or I can go to the Philippines, where people are living in difficult places under harsh circumstances. And by the way, when I come back home, I just, I just realize there's nothing for me to complain about. I just have to go to those two places, and I'm done complaining. We've got it good compared to most of the world, even though we're in a slump. But what's amazing to me is I find men and women over there who have, in, uh, in uh, Hungary, I didn't find a lot of them, but I found a few of them, who have, who have smiles on their faces. Who God is using in glorious and powerful ways. And it's not because they have money. It's not because they have great health. It's not because everything's working out for them. It's because they're so aware of the Spirit's presence in their life. That in their brokenness and in their weakness, they have come to know His presence. And I would rather have that than not know His presence in my life. How about you? How about you? That's a great question this morning, isn't it? Because the truth is, can I just be really bold and honest? Because I struggle with this from time to time in my own life. The truth is, some of us, some of us would rather keep our toys and rather keep the sin that we play with in our life than to know the raw, energizing presence of the Spirit of God. And that's a sad thing, isn't it? Can I ask you a question this morning, young people, adults? Can I ask you a question this morning? Are you ready to be done with sin? Are you ready to just let God have every ounce of you? Are you ready to just surrender yourself to him and say, in every way and in every day, O Lord, you be in charge of my life. Just as I am without one plea, Lord, I come to you. I just ask you to cleanse me, remove my sin. God, I want to be wholly yours, humbly yours, and I want to experience the presence of your spirit, and I want to live my life out for you the rest of my days. Are you ready for that? Are you willing to do that? Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Lord, as we prepare to close the service this morning, I thank you that you rule and reign. I thank you, God, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, for my sins, to set us free, to liberate us. I thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit of an assurance of a life that is still to come. I thank you, O God, that your purpose is to glorify yourself through us, even sometimes through difficulty and suffering. I thank you for the examples of that that I see in Budapest and that I see in Manila, in Baguio City. And how I pray, O oh God, that I would see that and we would see that in Naperville and in all the communities surrounding us. Aurora, Downers Grove, Bolingbroke, Lyle. All the places around us, Lord, that we would become those people. 
so liberated, so excited, so filled with your spirit that we are like glow sticks in a dark world emanating forth the love of Jesus Christ. And Father, it's not something we have to do as much as it's something we have to be. As we sing this song that's so well known, just as I am this morning, I don't want you to associate it with Billy Graham crusade. It's a song this morning for all of us, believers or seekers. And if you're at that point in your life where you're saying, you know, I just want to be fully surrendered to the Lord. I want to be done playing the sin game. I'm just giving it all over to God this morning. Would you come forward so at the end I can pray over you and ask the Holy Spirit to just fill you fresh and full? Nobody comes forward. doesn't hurt my feelings. This is between you and God. You're stepping out and say, God, I want all of you. Not some of you, not part of you. I want all of you, and I'm giving everything to you just as I am. Let's stand. Let's sing. And as God moves, you come forward. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And that Thou bidst me come to Thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark light to Thee, whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God. us who, because of pride, are unable to move out of our stingy seats and come forward and get right with you. We will suffer the consequences, Lord, because we hang on to sin. May we release our pride to you, Lord, in these final moments. Come forward and say, I'm done with it. I want to be free and free in Christ. Lord, I pray this morning that you would search my own heart, cleanse me of every sin that is in any way regarded in any nook or cranny of my spirit. And Lord, for my brothers and sisters this morning, I pray and ask that you would fill them afresh and full with the presence of your Spirit. I pray, Lord, that this church should be an igniter 
for what will become a revival in western suburbs that will spread and reach around the world, oh God. For Father, you don't need many people. You turn the world upside down with 12. But you turn the world upside down with us. Lord, we make ourselves available to you. We ask you to use us. Lord, we leave our sin at the foot of the cross and we claim if we confess our sins that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord, for yourself, who you are, and your precious Son who has freed us. And we praise you for that. Now give us the life that is full and abundant in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, do you love the Lord this morning? He loves you too. If you'd like to have somebody pray with you, I'll ask our prayer partners to come up here and they'll be available. Come in and pray. Let's give God a hand clap offering. Amen. All right. God bless you guys. You're a guest. I'll see you at the guest center. Don't forget to come back tonight for some great testimonies.